This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. Well, it's autumn, and the edge of winter is moving slowly up against the land of Alaska. I'm standing beside a beautifully clear, fairly fast-moving stream that's winding its way through a broad meadow filled with autumn colors. Yellow, brown, amber, scarlet, strawberry plants, wild Indian celery plants, lupins. What a gorgeous place to be. Along either side of this meadow, tall, dark spruce trees. It's a little bit drizzly here, and there's a misty cloud hanging in among the trees as we're just at the edge of one of those autumn storms coming in off the Gulf of Alaska. And as autumn comes on, many of the animals in this part of the country are very busy. They're getting themselves ready, fattened up for the winter ahead. And one of them, most prominently, that has to do that is just straight ahead of me, about 30 yards away, a black bear. Beautiful, medium-sized black bear. And as you would expect this time of year, very dense black fur. This animal's in prime condition. Big belly. Looks like it's really been feasting here on the silver salmon or coho salmon that are coming up. There's also a lot of spawned out chum salmon. Well, scientists have studied black bears in intricate detail. There's a huge number of scientific articles, reports, books about black bears. They give us many important and fascinating answers about the nature of these extraordinary animals. But there's another body of knowledge about the black bear in Native American traditions. It's vast and complex, accumulated over an enormous span of time and passed along from generation to generation. This knowledge is still vigorous and alive today in many Native American communities, especially here in the North, Alaska and Canada. It includes knowledge of the life history, the behavior, the ecology of bears, and it opens possibilities about the bear's nature that are completely different from anything that can be learned through Western science. I'm walking very slowly toward this bear on a well-worn trail as the bears have gone back and forth here. The bear just now, about chest deep in the grass, now turns, goes right down into the stream, wades in, belly deep, chest deep, shoulder deep now, puts its head down underwater, submerged, snorkeling down there, and now comes up, and look at this. It's got one of those chum salmon, very dark colored chum salmon in its jaws, turns very quickly, comes scrambling up the bank, shakes off. Oh man, to see its fur shaking, the water glittering off its fur, and now squats down, kind of hunkers down on the bank, this grassy, mossy bank, pretty steep, about four feet high, and the bear is standing right on that slope, working on a salmon, tearing into it right now, pulling back. I can see it chewing as I'm working my way just a little bit closer now, turns and looks at me, then goes 
right back to the business of tearing this fish. I can actually at this range now see the red flesh. It's chewing, sitting on its haunches, looking up, chewing away, holding the fish underneath its paws. Not only are black bears smaller than grizzlies, they're also incomparably milder in temperament. Nevertheless, encountering a black bear is certain to arrest your complete undivided attention, and that sure would be the case for me right now. My eyes are fixed on this animal again as I'm just very slowly easing close to the bear. Now has its head completely underwater, trying to see if it can't find another salmon. As I watch this bear now, I'm struck by how different it is from any other wild animal. Compared to a moose or a deer, a wolf or a mountain lion, somehow the bear seems like it's much closer to my own kind. It looks right now as it's come back up on the bank for all the world like a stocky, powerful, fur-covered man. Because of this, I think many of us, when we see a bear, we can't help wondering what goes on inside its mind, or wondering what sort of creature the bear really is. Our bear now, having finished that salmon, wading back out into the water. You hear that? There's a magpie circling around overhead, hoping maybe it'll get some of those scraps. What a simple, straightforwardly descriptive name it has, black bear. Well, for many thousands of years, there have been other names for the black bear, drifting over the Alaskan land. Complex, lavishly descriptive, richly evocative names for this animal. Names whispered between hunters, taught to children, woven into songs, chanted in prayers. Names that have been heard in bark-roofed shelters, in caribou-skin tents. Names heard in trapping cabins and log house villages, and today names still heard now in city neighborhoods. Let me try some of those names from the language of Koyukon Indian people who live along the Yukon and Kayakuk rivers in interior Alaska, just south of the Arctic Circle. Well, there's the word sis. It means black bear. It's a word that's used mainly by men to other men. Then nunia. It means the brown or cinnamon phase of the black bear in the Koyukon language. And then ketli nista, it means a large male black bear. And kaini natitani, it means a two or three year old female black bear. Nanistiliaye, a male and female that are hanging around together during the mating season. Orita nohunishoya, that's a mother who has another litter of cubs while her previous year's young are still with her. Then there's kaotalioya, that means literally the one that left its mother. It's the word for a yearling or a two-year-old bear that has now gone off to live out on its own. Koyukon elders know many more terms for black bears. It reflects an ancient, many-dimensioned relationship between these people and black bears. Like most Native American people, Koyukon Indians have closely observed the black bear for millennia. They've perfected ingenious ways to hunt these animals. They've lived on the bear's meat. They've used its hide for warmth. At the same time, these hunting people have treated the black bear as a fellow being, and one with exceptional gifts of mind and intellect. Perhaps above all, the black bear in Koyukon Indian tradition is a creature of soul and sentience. It's a powerful, watchful spirit in the forest. And boy, does that feeling ever come through me right now. The bear is wandering along the edge of the stream, 
right straight down below me, about 20 yards away at the most, perhaps less than that, stops, looks straight at me. I'm backed up here against the trees, but an open forest right behind me. And the bear doesn't, actually looking away from me now, sitting down on the grass. Boy, we are really close together. The interesting thing is this animal is hearing every single word I'm saying. Now moves back down into the water. Hard to imagine. That is cold water. And of course, for a bear, it probably doesn't feel the least bit uncomfortable. Back to its fishing. Head down underwater. No, it stands up on its hind legs, waist deep in this water, peering down, I guess, to get a better perspective in this clear water to see if there's any fish down there. And now back down on all fours, waiting again in the stream. Head underwater comes up now with a live salmon, a bright silver salmon. That's a good, good sized fish. And it's coming up on the bank just below me. Ooh, makes short work of that salmon. Immediately starts tearing into its meal. Wow, what a thing to see. As I'm watching this bear, it's easy to imagine that there's much more to this animal than we're able to learn through the strictures of Western science. I spent some of the most important years of my life working in Koyukon Indian villages. My job was to help to record traditional Koyukon knowledge and their way of life on the land. I'm grateful to the people of the villages of Huslia and Hughes and Alakakat, Alaska for their teachings, and I hope they won't mind a beginning student trying to pass along a little bit of their knowledge. In Koyukon tradition, as I understand the teachings of the elders, everything in nature has a spirit. That includes all the plants, all the animals, and even the land itself. Now, in this pantheon, the spirit of the black bear is one of those powerful and sensitive and demanding. It's altogether appropriate that we're hearing a raven right now sitting up here in a tree right over my head because in the traditions of Koyukon people, raven is the creator of the world and in a way the most powerful and overarching of the spirits as the creator itself. So when a person sees the raven, it's like looking directly into the eyes of God. But in the case of the raven, that spirit is benign, easygoing, basically beneficial toward humankind. In the case of the black bear, that spirit can be much more temperamental. The animal has to be treated with deference and respect, following a code of rules or taboos, an ancient body of knowledge called Hutlani. For example, the elders say it's important to be very careful in the way anyone speaks about the black bear because even from a distance, even many miles, dozens of miles outside the villages, the bears, because of their power, can hear what someone says. The person who offends a black bear can suffer all sorts of consequences. For example, losing their luck in bear hunting. Serious offenses against the black bear can make a person or a family member sick or even cause them to die. So it's very, very important to treat this animal with scrupulous respect. Now our bear has moved up to the edge of the woods and I'm going to just follow it at a nice prudent distance back in among the great big trees, mossy forest floor, high bush cranberries in here with amber colored leaves, blueberry bushes, and lots of fallen tree trunks. Oh goodness, bear quite close right now, sitting on its haunches, 
looks really comfortable bedded in the moss, very casually looking toward me. Now, black bears are extremely significant for Koyukon people's subsistence economy and for their cultural life. It's similar in a way to, for example, the bowhead whale for North Slope Inupiaq Eskimos. Bear meat is esteemed as a delicacy and as a ceremonial food, and the hunt for the bear is both a high expression of cultural identity and a source of prestige for the people who do the hunting. Koyukon men are undoubtedly some of the world's most avid and skillful bear hunters. For spiritual reasons, Koyukon women do not hunt bears. In fact, they'll even avoid looking at them. Women often speak of the bear obliquely. They'll call it, for example, Dathlidza or Khulzin, both of which mean black thing. That way they don't go to the excessive familiarity of saying the true name of this animal. Interesting to think about as our black bear is moving back out from the edge of the woods. It's about 30 yards away and walking as if it has something very specific in mind, and whatever that is, it has nothing to do with me. The bear's not looking toward me at all, and I'm just moving along parallel to it as we come out now into a meadow, bright brown grass, just walking out from the trees now over the last little crackling branches and stepping out. Oh, look, here is a big pile of moose nuggets showing who else lives here. And wow, right here, very deep set of moose tracks. This looks like a perfect place for moose out here in this open meadow. Oh boy, there's a, another emblematic sign of the autumn in Alaska. There's a flock of Canada geese flying over this river and meadow here. In the springtime, some bears are hunted for the fresh meat right after they leave the den. Hunters will travel around on foot or by boat along the rivers. Today, of course, when they do that, they're using rifles. In the old times, they were using the bow and arrow. In the summertime, Koyukon hunters usually leave black bears entirely alone because they want to wait until the animals reach their prime condition. Bears will sometimes wander into a summer fishing camp looking around for food. That's why Koyukon people often keep dogs in their fish camps as a warning system. Now, when this season rolls around, the fall, Koyukon hunters will sometimes take black bears coincidentally during their moose hunts along the rivers. The bears are fat and prime by that time, so it's a prized thing for a hunter to bring home. But the real bear hunt for Koyukon Indian people comes with the first snowfalls at the beginning of winter. This is when the bears are just entering their hibernation dens. Hunters travel widely over the Koyukon homeland, looking around for these dens. Traditionally, this was done on foot or by dog team. Now it's usually done by snow machine. Some of those dens that the black bears use have been known for many decades or even longer. A few of them even have names. But of course, the hunters never know when they go to a given den if a bear is gonna be inside. Also, as they travel around, the hunters are constantly looking for new dens every fall. Well, our bear now has come back down to the edge of the stream, and I'm moving along so I can get a good view of it. It's just wading out into the water. Now, going out into a silky, calm pool, the bear is beautifully reflected in the water. Well, expert Koyukon hunters have an almost 
preternatural ability to pick out minute cues that an occupied bear den is somewhere nearby. For example, as the hunters are traveling around on the early winter snow, they may come across a field of tall grass, but incongruously, in the middle of that field of grass, there's a patch where there's no grass at all. It doesn't make any sense. This might very well reveal where a bear came and gathered dry grass for a den that's somewhere close by. The same thing if a hunter finds that moss has been dug up in the forest or twigs have been broken from the shrubs to make a bed for that den. I remember traveling with Koyukon hunters who followed bear tracks that were pressed into moss covered by 18 inches of powder snow. The hunters were able to detect very slight indentations in the surface of the snow, completely invisible to me. I never ever would have guessed, even when they were pointing them out to me, I couldn't see them. Koyukon people tell riddles that have been handed down generation after generation, elder to elder. They're often a kind of metaphor, often a lovely metaphor for the natural world. And here's how they start. Wait, I see something. And here's a riddle for you. I am searching for a lost arrow. Well, the answer to that is the hunt for the black bear's den. A little rain is starting to fall right now and clouds drifting in. Oh, there's a magpie flying overhead. Clouds drifting in as we've got a weather system approaching the Alaska coast. When Koyukon Indian hunters find a den, then they gotta figure out, is there a bear down inside that hole? Of course, they can't see the bear itself. It might be a tunnel, 10 feet or longer, pitch black inside, usually about two feet in diameter at the entrance. And often it goes into a steep bank or maybe a hillside or a ridge. What kind of clues will let the hunter know there's a bear in there? One, if there's snow covering the entrance of the den, maybe there's a little tiny hole in it. And around that hole, perhaps there'll be crystals of frost. Those have collected from the bear's breath down inside there. Also, if they look down into the tunnel, maybe probe down into there with a stick, and they find there's a whole bunch of grass or moss kind of plugging the entrance. That's just about certain proof that there's gonna be a bear down inside there. Oftentimes what Koyukon hunters do is get a long dry pole and slide it down into that tunnel until it nudges up against something. Then they'll either hold that pole in the opened palm of their hand or they'll lay it on the ground and then stand there very quietly watching. If that pole moves, of course it reveals there's a bear down inside that den. Once I was with a group of Koyukon hunters when they did this and after many minutes a huge male black bear appeared down there in the half light coming up toward the entrance. In the old days, the men would have killed that animal with a big spear. Of course, now it's done with a heavy rifle. I've also seen Koyukon hunters crawl right down inside a bear den to check and see if there's something inside. That's usually done when the men are hunting with partners so that they've got a little bit of help there. Although I've heard stories of men doing this when they're hunting alone, but of course it's better to have at least one partner when you get to crawl down inside a bear den. Once the bear is killed, Koyukon elders teach it's important to follow many traditional rules to show respect to the animal. The elders say that an animal doesn't die all at once. There's a lingering awareness around it. 
the spiritual power that still hangs around that animal, like an invisible radiation or glow, makes it aware of what people do or say. So one of the first things a hunter should do is slit the bear's eyes with a sharp knife. Perhaps then it won't see if somebody forgets or makes a mistake, doesn't follow one of the rules. Sometimes the hunters also remove the feet immediately, and that helps to keep the bear's spirit from wandering around. When a hunter returns to the village, he doesn't just blurt out that he got a bear. He might wait till maybe in the evening and then say something obtuse, well, like we got something in a hole. Then people will know what happened without anybody having to say it directly and disrespectfully. It's our bear now. Back on the bank, it's moved downstream just a little bit, about 30 yards away, ambling along the river bank, looking down into the water, surely trying to see if there are any salmon down there. And listen to those ravens up in the trees here. Sometime later, after they've taken one or more bears, the men and boys from Akoyukon village will gather out in the snowy forest, someplace away from the village, for a feast that honors the spirit of the bear. In the Koyukon language, it's called Kitli Ashka. It means where the bear's head is eaten. They'll roast the feet, they make a kind of sausage out of the organs, put it on sticks over the fire choice delicacies, the best meat, cooked in big steaming wash tubs, goes on for many hours and during that time the men are busy swapping hunting stories and also teaching the young men the knowledge they have about the bear. A Koyukon elder man once told me, what we eat here is the main part of the bear's life. In other words, I think he meant the spiritual power of the bear. So that gathering in the forest is basically a funeral ceremony for the black bear. And then black bear meat is also shared widely with the community, especially at village potlatches or feasts. Men usually are careful to cook the meat of the black bear in a bachelor's house. That way, the vapors of that cooking black bear will not come into contact with women or girls. In the old days, the black bear's hide was used mainly as a door on winter houses, but usually today it's left out in the woods somewhere, that way to ensure that it's never touched by women. All these rituals and customs are done to maintain a harmonious and balanced relationship between people and the spiritual power of the black bear. Koyukon people say that the men have success in hunting not because of their skill, but because of luck. In other words, the hunter keeps himself in a state of grace with the black bears, so the bears then are willing to give themselves to him. Hmm, well, let's see, our bear has come up out of the stream and it's ambling straight toward me. Interesting to see its broad chest and the way it has a kind of a swaggering movement. Its front legs a little bit pigeon-toed, elbows kind of akimbo out to the sides, coming in my direction. So I'm moving back a little bit toward the woods. Oh, look here. Here's the remains, a pile of feathers. Looks like it's a mallard duck, once was a mallard duck that's been eaten by something. Perhaps one of these bald eagles that's hanging out in the trees here caught itself a mallard duck. I'm moving back now right against the trees so as the bear comes along working the edge of the stream it can go right by me about 20 yards away if it chooses to. 
Some years ago, I helped to make a documentary film about Koyukon bear hunting. Now, at that time, people from the village, of course, didn't know, will this filming take away the luck of the hunters who are being filmed? So it was potentially a tenuous thing for those hunters because bear hunting is so important to them. Well, the greatest, the luckiest, the most skilled hunter in that village volunteered to be filmed. He said, if I lose my luck and never get a bear again, it's going to be worth it because this way our traditional hunting, our knowledge has been filmed and passed along for the kids, for the future generations. Luckily, soon after the filming was done, he did get another bear and people said, well, it was okay, at least for him. A Koyukon elder from the village of Huslia, the late Chief Henry, told a very old story about the black bear's power. Two lucky hunters had managed to kill a black bear in its den, but darkness came on before they could finish cutting it up. They decided then, let's crawl down inside this den, let's spend the night down in there. They got inside, they blocked the entrance with grass and brush from the bear's nest. They awoke much later and they looked outside and pitch dark out there, so they thought, well, it must still be night. Went back to sleep, not realizing it was now close to New Year's. It had been months since they crawled in there. They went back to sleep, slept very deeply, and then finally when they woke up, bright light outside. When they crawled up out of that den, they noticed their bodies were really stiff, and they were startled to find there was no snow on the ground and green leaves on the willow bushes. The bear they'd killed, nothing but a pile of bones. At this point, they realized we must have slept all winter. Immediately then, they started walking to get back to their home. And as they approached, they heard people singing. They saw people dancing. When they came into sight, people were completely shocked. What's gone on? They explained, we're having a funeral potlatch for the two of you. This is how Koyukon people know that a person should never sleep inside a bear's den. Something from the bear, they say, will not let you awaken until spring if you do that. Our bear now has walked out into the stream, wading chest deep in the water, looking intently down. Oh, stands up on its hind legs, stands up so that it can peer down into this clear water, and now drops down, sticks its head underwater. Oh man, look at this. It has come up now with a fish, dark colored, must be a spawned out chum salmon. And here it comes back up to the bank. It's about, still about 30 yards away from me. Coming up the bank now, oh, shakes off a big spiral of droplets, sits down on its haunches and starts to tear at that salmon. Ooh, big chunk of it kind of flew up in the air. The bear now grabs hold of that salmon, pushes it down under its claws and pulls back. You can just see the power in that animal. What a beautiful thing. This fat, healthy bear preparing for its winter hibernation. What a thing to see. Of course, I'll never be able to know. Does the black bear have a powerful spirit as Koyukon Indian traditions teach? I'll never know if this bear understands what I'm saying right now, what I'm thinking about it. Or if bears know, am I talking respectfully about them when I go back to town? But one thing I am absolutely certain of, it's wise to behave toward bears and toward everything in the natural environment as if this were true, as if we live in a world that's filled with spirit and power and awareness, as if our relationship to nature should be centered around the wisdom of humility and respect toward everything that sustains us, body and soul. Well, our bear now, finishing with this salmon rather quickly, 
and wading back down now into this clear, calm pool of water. I'm going to sit down here on the bank and watch this animal for a while longer as this autumn rain starts to fall and pretty soon I'll have to head back for shelter. Well, I'm forcefully reminded as I watch this remarkable animal that there's beauty and mystery in every cranny of our world, that all nature is a community to which we ourselves belong, and that our voices are the earth singing to itself. Hanging out with a black bear along a salmon stream as autumn comes on in the wild country of Alaska. I'm Richard Nelson. I want to thank you so much for your good company, and I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. The writer, host, and executive producer is Richard Nelson. It's edited and produced by Lisa Bush with special consulting from Ken Fate. Theme music by Outback. Funding for Encounters is provided by Martha Wyckoff, Jerry Tone, the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, Robert Osborne, the Alaska Conservation Foundation, John Norris, Susan Cohen, Gerald Lorraine, Philip James, and the Scott A. Nathan Charitable Trust. For information on purchasing CD copies of this program, visit kcaw.org.